Today's podcast is going to be about culture, climate, and the philosophy that goes into it. We will get a heck of a lot further if everybody is being the agent of change, so to speak. You should never, ever be asking what your minimum is because you're already taking yourself out of the fight. That's not a good use of time. And that's that's on the leaders to fix that. In MRTs, you should stop showing so many slideshows. No one wants to be in a unit that sucks. Would you identify yourself as a tactical athlete? This is Command Sergeant Major Burke. Commanders cannot be everywhere. Therefore, their influence must permeate the entire organization. This podcast is going to be about how you can create a culture of ownership, pride, and caring. Everyone has a sphere of influence. We hope to give you some tips that will make this an influence that is positive. We have a guest star in the studio today. Star star might be a little far. All right, star's a little far. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. My name is Darren Kaler. I'm working as a master resilience trainer, performance expert out of the Reading Resilient Performance Center as a contractor. So, and the reason we invited Darren in today into the studio is because he's actually working on a course that is going to be focused just on this, about how, you know, commanders and leaders can uh, focus on the climate and the culture of their organization. So in a conversation that we had, we decided, hey, we'll bring him in on the podcast. We'll continue the dialogue with it recorded and for the distribution of the entire organization. So as a leader, when you talk about the culture and the climate of an organization, one of the very first things that you need to focus on is soldiers must feel that their voices are heard. It's a kind of a two-way dialogue. And here's how I kind of encourage people to think about it. There's a dialogue that exists between the leader and the soldier, but it needs to go both ways. The leader needs to lay out the expectations for whatever echelon of soldier that they are talking to. And then the soldier at the same time needs to communicate back to the leader their concerns or the issues that they might be having, but then also, you know, what they see as their path within the army or the things they want to accomplish. Because everybody joins the army, I believe, to accomplish something. People don't just join the army to sit around. They join for a reason. They have something they want to accomplish. And it might be just as simple in generic as they want to have a better life. That dialogue that exists at every single echelon needs to be kind of focused on that two-way dialogue. And through that, there should be respect that's built. And I, I think you're hitting on it, that it needs to be that two-way conversation, it needs to be that dialogue. But I also think that's one of the first areas that we start to see a breakdown in culture. We start okay. to see a breakdown in climate because that conversation's not happening or it's happening in ineffective ways. Right. Where, you know, the leader sets out the expectations saying, I want you to do these tasks today. And then a soldier might ask why. And that why is perceived as them being defensive or right. them, you okay. know, being insubordinate saying, I don't want to do this. When in all actuality, they joined the army for a reason. And if we're taking the, the question of why as a defensive measure, we're probably not giving them that purpose. The answer usually that comes to because I told you to do it. And we've already seen kind of a breakdown in trust just within that one conversation. Both sides have some room for improvement on this conversation because soldiers probably want to know, why do I really need to do this? But they also need to understand if I'm asking the question, why is that ever going to put someone thinking I don't want to do it? And can we start to tweak the question to, well, what's the purpose of this? Or how will this help the organization? And us as leaders can start to shift the conversation to giving them the purpose when we give them our expectations. So that way we can already take out that question and the soldiers can feel, you know, invested in because now they're actually having a real conversation with me rather than just giving me orders. And it takes time. It's not always the most comfortable thing for people to do, especially if you're new to leadership, but you got to learn to have those real conversations. And one way that I've found that works really, really well for that is being a transparent leader. If you want soldiers to open up and tell you what their issues are, 
share your issues. You know, tell them the struggles that you've went through, maybe in your life, times that you faltered or had questions, so that it shows that, hey, you know, this is an environment where I'm trusting you, you trust me, and now we can kind of open that dialogue. It's hard to sometimes kind of break down those barriers. Soldiers need to know that you have their best interest in mind. Especially like in combat, but maybe even in potentially in training, where you have to say, I, I, I don't have time to sit here and explain Absolutely. it to you. I don't sit, uh, we can't have this dialogue, even you questioning why. But you have to do that before that time comes. You have to establish that rapport before that time comes, especially if we're talking in combat, where you have to have a soldier do something right now. Otherwise, their life, your life, life of others is in jeopardy. And if you haven't, spent the time investing in that and they don't do it, that's your fault as a leader. You know, so that respect and that that ability, it takes time. You well, know I'm, you, I'm glad you chose the word invest because oh, yeah, we okay. could think about this as, you know, you we have a piggy bank for each soldier. And so for each soldier, oh, every bank. time you tell them the why beforehand, it's like you're putting a dollar in that piggy bank. So you're investing in that relationship, you're investing in them buying into the mission. And so then when time comes where we're in combat or we're in training, we're sitting in the middle of Hohenfeld saying, I don't need you to ask me why I need you to just go do it because we're about to get stuck in this mud pit. If you already have something invested in there, they're not going to question it. They're going to say, okay, I understand because of all the other times you took the time to actually explain it. And this time I can accept, just go do it. I like the piggyback analogy. That's pretty it's good. Nice. If you're listening to this podcast and you have whatever rank, I don't care. You need to learn to cover up your rank. You are trying to build respect with a human. Yes, I am so proud of you that you're an, a sergeant, a staff sergeant, a, a first lieutenant. No one is ever going to take that away from you. You need to learn to cover up that rank and build that connection and build that respect because soldiers need it. They need to know that they have somebody to count on and they're not afraid of you because you're a sergeant or a staff sergeant or whatever rank. They know they can come to you in the hardest times. I had to sit down with two soldiers that had misconduct. And the thing that I talked to their leaders about is, is listen, this is your failure as well because your soldier did not feel comfortable enough to call you before X happened and knew that you would have their back. You would come and help them in their time of need before it went tragic. We have to get there that our soldiers will call us, talk to us in their deepest moment because it's our responsibility. I think one of the biggest things with this as leaders is learning to humble yourself. You made so many you know, steps and successes to get to the rank that you're at. At the end of the day, once you take that uniform off, you're still just yourself. We forget that. We do so much and we say, I've proven myself. So now you have to listen to me. And if people are constantly making mistakes, then we it almost becomes like a power structure. We start looking down on them rather than saying, I was there once too. Maybe I didn't make the same mistake that you did. Maybe I didn't do the same thing that I would consider a dumb thing that you did, but I've been in your shoes where I was faced with a decision. Um, one of the biggest things that I tell every MRT that comes through is you have to be willing to be vulnerable. Otherwise, no one's going to learn anything. We can show you a million slides and tell you all the right things, but if I never tell you how I mess it up sometimes, why are you going to invest into what I'm saying? We usually like, all right, the hammer out of the army. We don't need you anymore. Sometimes that might be the right decision because maybe they just weren't fit for the position. But sometimes I think we go there too quickly because we want to distance ourselves from that saying, nope, if you're making mistakes, you shouldn't be here. But if we took a look in the mirror, we've probably already made five mistakes today, maybe not of the same magnitude. But I think if we're able to reinforce that in ourselves saying, I'm not perfect. So how can I expect someone else to be perfect? How can I start to humble myself and get them to listen? 
and teach them something by teaching from my own mistakes first. That creates a culture of I want to get better. When I used to coach track in Colorado, I coached for about four or five years. The questions that I would ask at the end of practice is what went well, what didn't go so well, and how are we going to improve it for tomorrow? And so it's not just I don't want to say anything because someone's going to be mad at me. It's no, here's what I noticed, but here's my solution for it. One thing I've noticed that's worked really well, actually, in AAR is just like you, you know, you're talking about the three sustains. What actually I've seen that actually works better is as a leader, you know, you have somebody, you designate somebody that, hey, you know, they're like kind of the designated note taker, so to speak. And then as a leader, you step forward and you say, hey, here's what I messed up. Okay, on this live fire, here's what I got wrong. Here's what was wrong with the timing, my placement, you know, and you go through all the things that you messed up. And that will initiate dialogue. But the other problem that we usually do with AARs is what happens to them afterwards? Disappear. Into yeah, the, they into disappear. The so as a leader, taking those notes, summarizing them, putting them maybe in kind of bullets or some kind of thing and do two things with it. One, send it out to the group, send it out to the element, send it out to the unit. And then two, refer back to it later, especially if you're going to do another training event that's like it. You read those beforehand, you send them back out and say, hey, here's what we made mistakes last time. So let's make sure we don't make those same mistakes again this time. Before we make that transition to culture, we've been talking about climate and creating a climate where feedback is mutual and it's, you know, goes through all the ranks, you know, along with that climate, you know, one that's open, people are sharing, uh, people respect their leadership and respect goes both ways and that soldiers at every echelon feel like they have a voice. Those are all kind of climate discussions right there, but I'm going to read something. So there's no such thing as a perfect unit. Everyone has issues. The question is, are you taking it upon yourself to fix said issue? The reason I bring this up. So one of the things that the staff duty officer has to do at the regimental level is send back things that they see as issues across the regiment. And I wrote this, uh, you know, this young officer back and his points were absolutely great, but they were not things that regiment needed to fix. When we talk about this whole climate piece, everybody has ownership. See, listen, no one wants to be in a bad unit. No one wants to be in a unit that sucks. It's not going to be just the leaders that are going to fix it. And it's very, very easy. And especially in this world that we exist in nowadays, where you can feed into negativity. The question you have to ask yourself is, what are you doing to change it? Are you bitching just a bitch? Or are you actually complaining, but then you have a solution to fix and to remedy whatever you're talking about? Listen, we will get a heck of a lot further if everybody is being the agent of change, so to speak, and they are doing something to fix the world around them. And it might just be you and your roommate making your AO a little bit better or addressing the concerns that you have issues with in the barracks, you know, making it known to your leadership so that they can fix it. So it's easy to fall into that, especially in, you know, kind of the world today where everything is just constantly populated in all of our news feeds. But the question you have to ask is, is what are you doing it for? And is it solving anything? Or are you just placating into this negativity that is existing? Or are you trying to do something to actually make it more positive? It's very easy to say, well, 2CR sucks. We're not a perfect unit. We do a lot of things really well. What we really, really need is we need everybody taking ownership of the philosophy of making it better. You know, and the math problem that I always throw out for everybody is there's one regimental commander, one regimental SAR major, seven squadron commanders, seven squadron CSMs, 37 troop commanders, and 37 first SARs. That totals up to less than 100 people. There's over 2,000 E1 through E4s. There's over 1,000 staff sergeants and sergeants. So who's really going to change the organization? First thing, let's, let's address the negativity. When I first got here, I would go over and I would assist it in processing. Okay. And I will tell you that I heard it more times oh, than not, 
two CR, you're, that's where you're going. Oh, your life's over. Oh, your man. life's going to suck. We you're know. never going to see your family. You got to take over the grain of salt saying, who's actually telling me this? This negativity, it's called the negativity bias. And it's that tendency just to notice, remember, pay more yep. attention to all the bad things that happen. It's been ingrained in us since we were cavemen. Think back to when we were cavemen. If we paid more attention to, you know, the pretty rainbow rather than the saber tooth tiger, probably weren't going to be around for very long. And so we had to start noticing and remembering the bad things. But as time went on, we're no longer under this direct line of threat on an imminent, constant basis. But our brain won't ever let us shut it off unless we actively work against it. Anything else before we kind of shift over to the culture? The punchline of the MRT program has just come, something bad happens, you just got to hunt some good stuff. That's what you need. Just hunt the good stuff, you'll be all right. You're not wrong, but that's also not the point. We need to be able to wake ourselves up to the everyday little good things that are happening around us rather than saying, oh, something bad happened. Just hunt the good stuff. You'll be all right. If things are not going well, we have to address it and say, yeah, you're right. Things are not perfect right now. But how are you fixing those? Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to make the choice to say, I could complain about this, but it's probably not going to get me anywhere. If I have an issue at my level, what can I do about it? Okay. And if it's not much at my level, what could my first line supervisor do about it? But we have to figure out at our level, whether it's maybe we need to take personal ownership over the day room rather than leaving it saying, oh, well, someone else is supposed to do it. You know, how can we start to wake ourselves up to turning off the negativity bias for just a second and finding out what can I do about it? And if I don't have the equipment, if I don't have the ability or the authority to do it, do I have a well planned out plan to give to somebody that does have the authority or the equipment to do it and saying, here's why this is important to me? So if you're, let's say you're a young specialist and you want to start the day room and your immediate supervisor, maybe your platoon sergeant, whoever, they're just not interested. They don't want to entertain it. Here's what I will almost guarantee you. Come up with a plan. I got eight volunteers that are wanting to come in and they want to help build out this day room and set up this day room. You probably don't have the ability. You don't know who to contact as far as the resources go. That's okay. Ask to have an open door with your first arm. And here's what I will tell you. If you walk into your first sergeant's office, we really want to build a day room. Here's our plan. Here's what we need as far as resources go. Here's the manpower and everything else to get it done. Your first sergeant's going to be like, wait, you don't have something you want to complain about? Wait, you don't, you're not filing an IG complaint? This or is new. You're being part of the solution. And now it's something he doesn't have to think about. Here's what I'm telling everybody that's listening to this podcast. First sergeant, if your soldiers are coming to you with ideas and solutions, you better action them. And soldiers... If you're not getting the things done that you want to get done, well, go to your SAR major. And if he's not going to listen, SAR majors, you're now put on notice, then come to see your regimental SAR major. He's a friendly guy. I'll listen. I'm not bashing first SARs. I'm not bashing SAR majors. You got to understand the amount of information, taskings, and everything else that they are receiving. They're overwhelmed. They don't have enough hours in the day to get everything done. So if you come to them with solutions, it just makes their life easier. And it's part of being part of a team. You know, leaders need to get there. If your soldiers aren't kicking down your door, you need to sit down, have a moment of reflection and question what you're doing and, and fix it because they should be. Why would you not want your soldiers coming to the senior most expert in your organization right. and asking questions? Why would you not want that uh -huh. to say, look, you've been there. You've seen this. I'm faced with a similar issue. How could you guide me here? How right. could you mentor me to fix this? It comes back to this idea of being a, an approachable leader, any level, Absolutely. whether you are a team leader, squad leader, whether you're the regimental command sergeant major, if you are not approachable, you are not a effective leader. You may, get things, you may get things done. I'm glad you said that. But you're not going to have a good time. Your soldiers are not going to have a good time. You're missing so much that they could tell you. Kind of let's take it out of the work 
life and put it in home. If you are just constantly yelling at your children, which sometimes I'm guilty of saying, clean your room. Why is this? I've seen him up at Edelweiss Lodge one time. His (laughs) daughter spilled a bunch of chips. Yeah, it may have happened. Um, But if you're not approachable there, they're never going to come to you with some of these things that they're they're facing with. And you may say, oh, everything's great at home. But is it? Because are you maybe missing something? The same way with, well, my soldiers didn't do anything dumb today. That you know of, <laughs> that you know of, because okay. maybe they weren't actually, you know, willing enough to kind right. of have that conversation yeah. saying, yeah, I, I didn't really tighten the bolt as tight as I was supposed to. I kind of ran out of time. We can learn from this only if they're willing to come to you with it. This is exactly why I'm doing the job that I'm doing. And you're doing an awesome Is job. to have these conversations to get people bought into the idea that if you invest in yourself, if you invest in your soldiers, if you invest in your family, you're going to get everything. It may not always be easy. No, it won't. It be. might not always be the result that you wanted that day, but it will come and it will show up. But you have to consistently put in the effort towards it. Okay. I've been doing this army thing for 22 years. I am nowhere near where I want to be. I'm talking about the type of soldier and leader I want to be. Marriage, being a, a father, you know, all those things. I'm nowhere where I want to be. I am not even close. I have not even skimmed the surface. You're never going to arrive. Yep. You know, you're just, but you have to adopt that. And I, and I do, I also believe this, and I'm not saying this, you know, for any sort of edification. We need more people like that. Yep. We need more people like that in this world, in 2CR. At the end of the day, we're in this together. Listen, if things go the way they could potentially go at any moment on this continent, we're who we got. Yep. We're going to survive together. We're going to make it through that together. You know, we're going to be grabbing the DJ from behind the AFN you know, booth <laughs> right there. You're coming with. You're coming with. Hey, you're going to load the 50 cal on the striker. Let's go. Let's do this. And uh, if you're not happy with that, if you're not happy with who you are as an individual, then what are you doing about it? I will not accept the fact that I've done enough. Yeah. It's you're always striving to get more. Yeah. In whatever it is, whether it's at work, whether it's as a husband, because I've got a lot of striving to do there as a we husband, as a father, as a, as a mentor to people around me. How can I learn more? How can I find a new way to reach someone else in whatever aspect it is, whether it's through you know physical fitness, whether it's through you know teaching people about leadership, getting people to actually open their eyes to the resilience training that's going on within their unit and how you should pay attention. And MRTs, you should stop showing so many slideshows. How do we get people bought in? And here's the thing. I think it's out there. I agree. I think the regiment is full of people like this. I absolutely agree. But the fear of failure sometimes gets too great. And guess what? You will fail a lot. That's life. You know, a quote that's constantly been going through my head recently is from, you know, Coach Carter is what is your greatest fear? Our greatest fear is not that we're inadequate. Our greatest fear is that we're powerful beyond measure. It's hard to show up and put yourself out there and be great. Because then it becomes an expectation of others and it becomes an expectation of ourselves. And when we don't reach up to that, when we don't live up to that, that's not a good feeling. Not because we feel like I let someone else down. It's because then we become to let ourselves down. And if we want to think about this idea of ownership and taking personal ownership, you're going to know if you put yourself out there to try and be great and you don't give it your all. That feeling is such an awful feeling that you're going to do anything to fight back against that and say, I never want to feel this again. Yeah, Darren, we just... uh. 
Yeah, you know, I don't even care how you feel about this, but we just became best friends. We did. Okay. We had a moment. All right. Okay. So we're best <laughs> friends now. All right, cool. Oh, but <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I didn't want to interrupt because I mean, that was just, that was beautiful, man. You're absolutely right that there's more people. They maybe just don't know how, you know, we need to focus on the ages of change. And I believe they exist everywhere in TCR. They just don't know where, but uh, you know, if they're listening to this podcast, you're, you're on the right track. You're taking your time out to listen to this as far as I'm concerned. This, this idea of emotions as leaders is such an interesting it is. idea because we often want to say, I don't have emotions. And we end up trying to repress our emotions so much that right. we then do come out as these outbursts. Right. And we fail to look at or understand why am I reacting this way? What drove this? Maybe being the angry person all the time is not the right thing. Or maybe repressing my emotions is not going to be the right thing. But how can I regulate it? Understand I'm feeling quite angry here. What's driving this? Is there a belief that's coming up to me that's being triggered that's causing this? Is it I'm seeing a pattern in somebody else that I'm not seeing it or that I see a pattern in myself that I'm not happy with? It takes a level of maturity and self-awareness to be able to do that. Absolutely. And it's a practice skill. Yeah. As a, as a leader, as a human being, what's going through my head? And is that being productive for me or is that being counterproductive? And we have to start opening ourselves up to seeing what's actually going through our head. Because the more as leaders, we can be aware of what's going on, the better control we can have over ourselves. So that way we know when's it okay to show this negative emotion or when's it okay to show this positive emotion? Because the more we can be aware of it, the more we can use that to our own effectiveness. Let me read the definition of culture. Culture defined. The idea, customs, and social behavior of a particular people or society. So as we talk about culture, I'm going to come back to something you uh, previously said, Darren. You talked about the culture of excellence. I would say a culture of excellence would be a group of individuals that are willing to do what it takes in order to be excellent. That are willing to hold not only themselves accountable, but others okay. around them accountable to striving to be excellent in what they're doing. And not being okay with, you know, I passed. So that's right. good enough. Okay. So not settling for mediocrity. Yes. With the new ACFT coming out, I've observed many kind of diagnostic tests of it. And I will tell you far too often I hear, what's my minimum? Hmm. That's not a culture of excellence. That's that bullshit. Right. <laughs> you should never, ever be asking what your minimum is because uh -huh. you're already taking yourself out of the fight. You're already setting yourself up for failure. Absolutely. If we want to look at a culture of excellence, it's individuals saying, what can I push myself to? And to me, it starts with the lowest level. You know, we can watch leaders go out and crush things all day. But if the lowest level is not doing it, we're not reaching that culture of excellence. We have an excellent leader, maybe, but it's not a culture until yeah. everyone is able to buy into this may hurt. This may not be fun, but I'm going to push myself to show and see what I've reached and what I've become. Well, and I think that's part of being in the military as well. Um, you know, when you talk about it and you translate that into combat, you need to know what your limits are um, because you need to have the situational awareness to understand yourself because combat can be extremely arduous. And if you don't know how far you can push yourself, then as a leader, don't know how you can, far you can push your soldiers. So let me um, ask you a question. Would you identify yourself as a tactical athlete? Yes. Would I you say most of the regiment would identify themselves as tactical no, athletes? No. Listen, you could be a football player. You could be a baseball player. No offense. You could be a soccer player. Okay. <laughs> you could be all these things. Okay. And no, no, no. And it's great to be an athlete. And I love, I love athletics. I love watching football games. I love all that stuff. But here's the real truth. No one's life is counting on you. You can miss a goal, pass out during a game. You're going to lose the game. 
no one life going to end. Okay. Maybe you won't get that million dollars. Okay. Or whatever, but no one's life is counting on you. But you know where people's lives are counting on you in combat. I might get shot. You know, something might happen to me. I need you to be able to drag me or pick me up all the way back to wherever it might be, 500 meters, one mile. I might need you to do that. And that will be the difference between life and death for me. The reverse of that, I might need you to run for 500 meters with this Carl Gustav or Javelin on your back up this hill, uphill both ways, whatever. (laughs) No, but I might need you to do that because I need you to neutralize this enemy tank because if you don't, it will penetrate our lines or it will flank Fox Troop 2nd Squadron. It'll flank them and kill soldiers. Your physical prowess, and I don't care what MOS you are, you don't get to predict that. The enemy has a vote is the same goes. So you need to be prepared for that. People's lives are counting on it. You know, they are counting on you having that tactical athlete mentality. I cannot imagine anything worse than somebody dying because of my inability to prepare. I don't know if I could live with that. That would would be rough. And it's not just enough to physically prepare, but you also have to be mentally preparing yourself for that. It's one thing to say, well, yeah, I could carry this pack up this snowy hill for 500 meters as fast as I can. But once you get up there, are you able to shift your attention, shift your energy to where is the most optimal zone to actually eliminate that target or to, you know, take care of that wounded soldier once you get him there? Because it's not like, oh, I ran this 500 meters, so everything's good now. People need to realize that. Maybe part of it is, is that we haven't had that kind of armed conflict in a long time. But it's a threat at all times. We don't get a decision on when that's going to happen. You only fall back to your level of conditioning. Wherever you're at, your level of training, your level of conditioning, that's what you got to go to combat with. You can't go, well, we're going to combat next week, and now you're going to get your ass in gear, and you're going to figure it out. Within kind of the Ready and Resilient Performance Center, we've got two main areas. We've got the the MRT training, which most people know as hunt the good stuff. The other side of the house we do is performance training, which is based in sport performance psychology. And our punchline for performance training is you want to be able to get the most optimal performance you can produce on a consistent basis. And the only way you can be able to do that is to optimize your training. And we'll go to the kind of the army phrase of train as you fight. That is often not what we see when we go and do observations of a unit. You have people just walking half speed through it, not getting the most out of it, not taking it serious. And so it starts with leaders, once again, giving the purpose, putting it in the framework of if we were actually going on a mission right now, would you be making these mistakes? Would you be okay with that? giving them some motivation to buy into that training and then giving them specific cues or targets they need to focus in on. Rather than saying, all right, here's the mission, get to it. It's here's the mission, but here's your focus. Here's the mission and here's what's most important for you to focus in on. So people can better understand kind of the importance of segmenting the performance out, segmenting their focus out. So that way it's easier to kind of cue themselves into it. It's easier to actually strive towards reaching this goal rather than saying, we're going to be in Hohenfels for two or three weeks and I'm ready to get it over with. Right. We have to figure out how to, I don't know, better motivate ourselves or motivate our soldiers. Right. And oftentimes we just say false motivation. It's, it's not going to work because that's no, what we not. see is that it's not getting anywhere. We need to get people more internally motivated to identify within themselves, who are they? How can we start pulling that more in to them taking more personal care of themselves or putting forth the effort that they see that they need to? Because like you said, it could happen today. Fingers crossed it doesn't, but it could. You guys are going somewhere. Absolutely. And if we're not putting ourselves in the training mindset, then we're not going to be doing ourselves any justice. 
But it starts with that own internal motivation to step up and to do something about it. So first, I'll talk about the the kind of the training and the PT aspect from a leader perspective. One, training needs to be realistic um, and it needs to be progressive in nature. There has to be the buy-in and the, the understanding of why we're doing each training event. It's on the leaders to help explain that and help the, you know, with the shared understanding of that. So I think leaders, you know, from every single level, they need to own that more. Um, and they need to explain that more and they need to invest in the qualityness of the training. Because here's one thing I know that soldiers don't like, and I don't like it either. No one wants to have their time wasted. But if you go out to a training event and uh, let's say, you know, it's just an M4 range and uh, you go out there, the range is well constructed. The training is set up, all the ammo, all the site, the entire site is well orchestrated. You get out there and you immediately fall in on lanes and you start shooting or you do, you know, the dry fire drills and the PMI and everything else before you go do it. You know, there's other training that's out there as well. Maybe there's a medical lane or teaching crew serve weapon systems or dragoons or something like that. Why in that kind of that blank space while you're waiting for your next iteration to go or you're waiting for the night training, whatever it might be. When you get done and you walk away and you're driving back to Rose Barracks for the night, you think to yourself, you're like, wow, I took a lot of things away from that. And man, that was a busy day, man. I was just going and going and going and going. That's going to add value to it. And you're going to feel like you accomplished something as opposed to what I see sometimes they go out there, soldier shoots his M4, and then he sits around for eight hours waiting to go tonight. That's not a good use of time. And that's that's on the leaders to fix that. But even the soldiers, you know, they can fix that. Take it upon themselves. Dig in and figure out what other kind of tasks and grab some people and start training as well if the leaders aren't going to do it. Uh, which is unfortunate and it shouldn't be that way. Uh, but then the other thing of that is as far as down to the soldier level, you need to find somebody that challenges you. And I don't just mean physically. I mean, you know, mentally as well. Um, that, that you know, has, you know, this belief that, you know, hey, they want to get better and they want to make the most out of their army experience on and off duty and align yourself with that person. Um, you know, you see them when they're at work, constantly grinding and they're, you know, they're self-educating and everything. That's probably who you want to align yourself with because they're desiring to be a better person and a better soldier. The culture, you know, that we're kind of talking about here overall is the ownership down to the lowest level. You are part of this. Yes, leadership it. Leaders need to invest in it and they need to have everybody's best interest in mind. But it, it does come down to the soldier level and everybody's got to have a piece in that and everybody's got to truly, truly invest in it. And if you want to know where to start, start with yourself. Go back to some of the things that we've talked about as far as your attitude and how you treat things, because this is serious business. And I think we have to look into, you know, the idea that every single soldier needs to see themselves as a leader. Absolutely. Even even if you're not in a quote unquote leadership position, you are still a leader within your friend group. You're still yep. a leader of yourself. And so Sphere we need to yep. hold ourselves into that account. You know, if I'm going to the gym, maybe I'm not always enjoying doing deadlifts or I'm not always enjoying, you know, doing a shoulder press. But if we're able to start to put it in that realistic context, why would I need to be doing a deadlift? Well, if I have to pick up a litter, that's pretty important. Right. And I don't know, you know, if they're going to have full kit on or not. They will. You know, and so if we're able to start looking at things in a different mindset, not always, we always have to say it like it's got to be hua hua all the time. But if we're not putting ourselves in that mindset, especially when it comes to training, we're not getting the most out of it that we could. You know, and it doesn't matter if it's Hohenfels, it doesn't matter if it's Poland, it doesn't matter if it's Afghanistan, it's there's a mission to be done. There's a training opportunity within everything. Are we viewing it at this and seeing the value that it could come from this? Or are we seeing it as, oh, I'm wasting time? Because oftentimes we're not wasting time. We're seeing it that we are because we're missing the bigger picture. You know, if we want to get real philosophical, are we seeing the forest as a forest or are we just seeing it for the trees? But if we're stuck in it, we're stuck in that mindset that this is a waste of time. 
we might not be seeing everything that we're accomplishing of working with the allied nations, with being able to say, you know, that I was deployed to this area and here's what I accomplished. Because what, what I've been hearing lately is, oh, it's not a deployment, it's a mobilization. I don't know the difference, but at the same time, were you away from your family for a period of time? Were you away from your kind of creature comforts for a period of time? Sounds yep. like you had an opportunity to put yourself in a position to learn something. Yep. But if we're not putting ourselves in that mindset, we might not always be getting the most out of it as we could. No, I mean, things you're talking about, challenging yourself and pushing yourself, it, it builds resiliency as well. And uh, you talk about culture of excellence or you talk about mastery and everything else. Well, what a lot of people don't realize is there's no shortcut. You have to dedicate the time. You can have all the best training, best leaders, all this stuff. But if you don't dedicate the hours to being a master, it won't matter. It really won't matter at the end of the day. You will never be the master of that you know, fundamental task or whatever we're talking about. The recent ESB, EIB, what was the difference between the people that were successful and the people that were not successful? What the majority was is the people that dedicated themselves to the process and spent countless hours making sure that they understood every single one of those tasks to perfection and investing the time. Sometimes, you know, you might not have the leadership that's pushing you towards that. So then you have to take it upon yourself. And uh, you have to make yourself better because it won't matter at the end of the day. In the field of battle, what's required of you is required of you and you better be ready. Yeah, if we look at this idea of 10,000 hours, we often think, oh, it's got to be this amount of time. But I know people that have been driving for probably 10,000 hours and I would not call them experts <sighs> okay. at it. So uh, it's a good point. We, we've order... got to have 10,000 dedicated hours yep. training to exactly what we need to be at. And so if we look at the ESB, EIB, EFMB it takes a lot of dedicated effort and work. And we see people that have the badges and we're like, oh yeah, I want to be like them. But we fail to see what all went into that. Yep. How much training, how much yep. of their personal time got taken away because they were looking through or re-going through sequences or going out and doing you know, the PT that was required in order to meet the standards, as well as being willing to fail within that. Yeah, absolutely. The, um, the NCO... I wish I could remember her name at this point in time, who failed the ruck by Cortez. about two minutes. Sergeant yeah. Cortez. You listen to it in her voice yep. and the way she talks about it. She took ownership looking, I, I could have done better. And she took it on herself to say, I'm going to do better. I'm yep. going to get this because this is important. If we have that mindset going into our training, that's where you get it. That's where you get that dedication. You get the power. You get the passion into here's what I'm doing. Here's what I'm doing it for. Here's why I want it. That power, that passion is going to lead to the dedicated practice that it takes, the dedicated training that it takes in order to be successful in these things. Practice doesn't make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. Yep. All right. So closing thoughts on culture. All right. So my closing thoughts on culture is that it starts at every level. You know, we can look at the army in the grand scheme of things and try and break it down, but it starts at every single level, buying into the unit's traditions, the unit's values, the unit's norms, and letting that be known, letting a set expectation be known for everyone to buy into and follow from a incoming soldier just PCS'd in to people that have been here for two, three years, letting them know exactly what this unit stands for, whether it's 2CR as a whole, whether it's a squadron, a troop, whether it's just a squad. And the more we can get people bought into that, it's the way you talk about the unit. Are you wearing the unit's t-shirt? It's the things that you let come out of your mouth. That's where the culture comes into. Are we seeing it as it's okay to badmouth the unit? Or are we saying that's not how we roll here? That's not what we're about. We may not like everything that happens, but we're going to find solutions to it. And if we can get everyone bought into that from the lowest E1 you have here all the way up to the sergeant major. 
Are we all buying into the mission and holding ourselves accountable? If we have a culture that is inclusive, that it's okay to make mistakes as long as you're working towards fixing them. It's okay to fail as long as you're taking the steps in order to improve yourself. You didn't fail because you gave up. You didn't fail because you didn't try as hard. You failed because maybe we need to get some better training in. Maybe we need to teach you something new so that way we can grow from that. We can grow from someone giving their best effort and maybe falling a little short. There's a lot of work within that. But are we in a unit where that's okay? All right. So before I give my closing thoughts, Darren, please tell us about the R2 Performance Center. All right. So the R2 Performance Center, which stands for the Ready and Resilient Performance Center. And so what we do is offer tailored training towards whatever issues you're seeing within the unit, whatever performance that you're leading up to, right. whether it's going to an M4 range, whether it's going to a gunnery range, whether it's sending people to EIB, EFMB, or whether it's just starting to look at, maybe we need to look at our own culture. We provide specific detailed training to your specific units, not just a cookie cutter, you know, one size fits all. Absolutely. We can do it with one person versus large scale groups. Everything that we do is going to be kind of discussion based. We're going to teach you something and then we're going to discuss it and see how you see it impacting your unit. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen this, but if you ask someone, hey, what's going on? Or did you understand that? And they say, yeah, I understood that. I got it. I learned something. We don't usually accept an answer because we know half the people probably weren't listening to us anyways. So then we put them through some different activities to actually be able to try it on. We can see, did you learn it? We have to look in the mirror. We have to see what's actually going on to be able to fix something, change it or improve it. If we're not able to do that, if we're just sitting in a classroom, you may retain something to say, hey, that was really cool. But am I going to apply it to my own performance, to my own life? And so we get people actually hands on to apply these things to see how is it working? What changes in my performance if I try this mental tool? How does this actually impact me? We want to give you the education portion, but we're more about the applied nature. How does it actually work for what the performance is that you're doing? Within this, we do the resilience training. So any MRTs that are listening to this, if you feel like maybe you need a refresher, you need some help, we're a resource for you. We want to make sure that you are giving out the best training you can. On the performance side of the house, commanders, first sergeants, platoon sergeants, platoon leaders, squad leaders, if you feel like we're going into a performance and maybe we need to get our mind right, reach out to us. That's literally what we're paid to do is to help you figure these things out and target it from many different areas. And we're able to kind of mold the conversation to meet the needs of others. But we can only do that if it's given the time. I would put this call out to every leader in the organization. How much time do you spend fixing issues? How much time would you spend fixing issues if you had put in a proactive approach ahead of time? And how much effectiveness could you save yourself? Efficiency, productivity that you could have gotten out if you spent an hour, an hour and a half ahead of time rather than have to spend five hours on a weekend fixing an issue. Can't say it's going to fix everything or mitigate every risk or everything that goes on, but why not give yourself the chance? And uh, how do people get a hold of you? So people can get a hold of us by we're in building 341 right across from the Reed Museum, rooms 18, 19 and 20. You can call up our DSN at 476-2333. So it's darren.t as in tango dot kaler dot ctr at mail dot mil. So one thing that we love doing is helping out with PT sessions. We run a mental skills obstacle course that will definitely get you to start being able to fully apply the mental skills into the physical aspect. Um, and so at any level that you're at, whether you're a specialist, 
sergeant, staff sergeant, whatever sphere of influence you have, we would love to come and start working with your PT sessions to start to look at where are you getting the most out of it? Where could we improve upon it? Are you able to start incorporating the mental skills on a rep by rep basis to start building it up? And so we want to be able to help you at any level that we can to build the mental skills into the physical training in order to get the most out of it. No, and I've seen you do that with a Havoc Troop over in 2-2. And I watched, you know, how that actually kind of changed how they tackled a lot of PT sessions and it it, it, impl- it influenced the climate and the culture of that uh, that uh, troop as well. Darren, I really do appreciate uh, you coming on and, uh, you know, discussing what a, what, a, what a phenomenal dialogue, probably one of the most enjoyable ones I've had. Uh, you know, you are an asset to the organization and I love how you're bought into 2CR. It's kind of the tenant unit over at Rose Barracks. And, uh, we need to we need to utilize you and your team more, I feel. I think you guys have a lot of services you guys can offer. So, to go into, you guys need to reach out to Darren and uh, incorporate him in the team. I want to leave just kind of one last little thought with everybody. The key to a sound culture is the individual. Uh, said another way, you know, the Sergeant Major of the Army, Sergeant Major Grinston says, this is my squad. Sometimes people think that the squad means, you know, literally a squad. And what he's actually saying is, is kind of this fear of influence. You could be a team leader. Um, maybe it just means your family, your platoon, that you own it and you are part of that. And everyone benefits when they enjoy coming to work. So ask yourself, what are you doing to make it better? If we take it upon ourselves to be positive, add value and show others that we care, it will influence the climate and the culture. This applies to everyone in 2CR, all the way from private to colonel. This is Jagoon 7 signing off.